Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy, and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national, and international news with analysis, discussion, and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to Green Left Radio. And um, for today, we have myself, Jacob. And me, Zane. Hello. So we're going to be your lovely presenters today, and we're going to probably be discussing today, um, going through some of the kind of current sort of news sort of headlines, um, some of the things that have kind of been dominating um, politics, and basically giving all the kind of latest updates on activist campaigns and so on that are happening kind of around the country. But I guess um, before we get into that, I would like to acknowledge that we're being broadcast to you from Stolen Land. Uh, from the land of the Wandry of the Kula Nation. And FreeCR and Green Left Radio would like to uh, pay our respect uh, to elders past and present and maybe any that might be listening to our program today and acknowledge that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land and that FreeCR and Green Left Radio as a whole um, supports um, the fight for Aboriginal sovereignty and the fight for land. And of course, we'll always celebrate all forms of our resist, uh, First Nations resistance against colonisation. Just like in case in point, the Invasion Day protests that happened on Tuesday. Um, Zane, do you want to kind of start off with some of your impressions of the rally? Yeah, sure. So I was actually um, a bit delayed by the drizzly weather and so on. I got there uh, a bit late but was thoroughly impressed by, yet again, the size of the rally. And it looks like huge Invasion Day rallies uh, that we've kind of seen in the last five years or so are here to stay, which is really uh, impressive. And I think continuing to have, continuing to celebrate Australia Day on the 26th, it just, the longer it goes on, that the Invasion Day rallies are far bigger than the official, like obviously this year, the official Australia Day thing was cancelled in Victoria. But even last year when there was the official parade, it was tiny and the Invasion Day rally was much bigger. Once again, around Australia, the Invasion Day rallies were much bigger than the official celebrations. And the longer that that trend continues, the more I see it as inevitable that probably to begin with, the date is changed, but I think it's useful that uh, here in Melbourne and in uh, some other cities, um, First Nations activists have really um, put this demand forward, abolish Australia Day, let's not have actually any national day which celebrates the intrinsically the the colonial settler settler state because that's offensive and um toxic no matter what date you have it on 
so, yeah, the crowd like got off at Flinders Street Station. The front of the rally was already there. And then uh, me and my partner walked and the crowd, to be covered safe, had been broken up into uh, little groups of 100 people. I think it's uh, a tribute to the marshalling team that they were able to pull that off because that's a pretty um, sophisticated thing to try and to try and do as a marshalling team, split up a huge crowd of tens of thousands of people into little chunks of 100 and have them all, you know, 10 metres apart. But, yeah, we walked from Flinders Street right up to Burke Street Mall and then walked up to um, the State Parliament and uh, there was just chunks of 100 people the whole way. It was packed. And then even once we got up to the State Library, it still snaked kind of around the corner into a bit of a T shape. Uh, there was some, you know, banks back up down towards the old treasury building. And then there was more banks up towards the, um, that hospital whose name I forget. Uh, Vincent hospital, something. Anyway, uh, yeah, huge crowd, very impressive. Um, and once the main big crowd sort of started to dissipate, I mean, it was there for hours. Um, myself and my partner went to the Reclaim the Spirit Festival at uh, the Sydney Maya Music Bowl. Um, there's been some discussion of that becoming a bit, I don't know, like bureaucratized or something, but I think in the current context of COVID, um, it was necessary to have that festival at a venue that's got appropriate COVID um, social distancing and tracking stuff in place. And something that stuck with me uh, was the MC Shirley Hood. Uh, she's made the point that I think, I think it's on the 27th of January is Holocaust Remembrance Day in uh, Germany. And Shirley Hood basically said January 26th is kind of like a Holocaust Remembrance Day for Aboriginal people. And if there's going to be anything on, on January 26th, it should be, you know, a, a memorial of genocide, which is a sombre thing, not a parochial flag-waving, uh, you know, 21 cannon salute kind of thing. It's a very sombre and, and sad thing. And, and that's the other thing that struck me over recent years is apart from the massive size of of the Invasion Day rallies, it genuinely is a, a sad day of reflection for Aboriginal people. And that has to be uh, respected. And I think that can be, I guess, part of a process of... Um, truth and justice and healing going forward is to, you know, remember the really terrible process that's happened over the last 230 years for, for Aboriginal people, stolen generations, massacres, um, loss of, loss of culture, but also survival and resilience and Aboriginal people staying, staying strong and keeping their culture alive despite all these efforts to destroy it. Hmm. Yeah. 
And I guess I want to add a kind of few kind of comments. Um, I was definitely very impressed with the size of the rally. Um, in fact, I'll probably sort of say it might have dropped a bit from last year. And I kind of imagined that it was probably because of the COVID kind of um, 19 restrictions. Um, not necessarily the COVID-19 restrictions as such, but just because of the mood of kind of COVID, I think people have sort of been a bit more cautious about going out to the streets in large numbers. Uh, there were already a number of people I knew who didn't come because of, um, who are sort of in at risk sort of health, um, um, conditions and who didn't go for those kind of reasons. Otherwise they probably would have gone last year. And I also think, um, but I also think the crowd was overwhelmingly young. Um, it was a very sort of lots of people, um, a very kind of diverse crowd of people who don't normally come to protest. Um, I think it was such a, it was a very amazing kind of expiring kind of um, showing. And I guess, I mean, one of the other things I want to kind of comment on is basically in the lead up to Invasion Day, it was sort of interesting that um, one of the sort of darlings of sort of the liberal kind of press, um, The Age, um, posted this sort of whole article about basically the, the sort of argument without going into very specific details about the statistics and everything. It was sort of going into making this sort of deal that, oh, actually the majority don't support a change um, in the date, um, which I think is sort of a bit of a, a weird sort of framing, I think, of this argument around around this whole, around Invasion Day. Because really the main, it's basically regardless of whether the majority of the average kind of Australians support a change in the date, I actually think that's kind of an irrelevant kind of question. If you look at the inherent kind of nature of the day, and actually if any, if the, if the age actually spent any sort of effort actually listening to what Aboriginal communities, are, are the, one of the world's oldest living cultures and still um, impacted by the legacy of kind of colonialization that actually should be the main kind of important sort of primary reason why we should be trying to convince the majority of the people why we should be abolishing the data of the whole or even just changing it simply. I'm like, oh, of course, I'm not for change that I'm for abolishing the date altogether. But I just think it was sort of a weird sort of framing of kind of the argument. And also the fact is, it's actually impressive <laughs> the actual percentage of people that actually do support a change to the date or support the idea of treating it as a day of mourning. In fact, there's quite a large number of public support. It might not necessarily be majority, but when you look back at the whole marriage equality kind of campaign, it wasn't, it wasn't long before that turned to like at least 20 to 30% sort of active support to majority sport. And of course, that's, mm. I think, where uh, Invasion Day and when this whole debate around Invasion Day and Australia Day is actually at. Despite what the politicians um, keep kind of insisting, the politicians are actually probably more disconnected from the public. But I also think that another thing is, when it comes to politics, speaking from the framework of politics, the, the government doesn't need to have majority support to implement a, a, a legislative change. In fact, the government implements lots of legislative change based on a certain degree of divisiveness around particular topics uh, or mm-hmm. areas. And on behalf of the, the 1%. Yeah, well, on behalf of the 1%. But what I'm saying generally is there can be particular issues that only affect 10 to 20% of the people and the government will still be obligated to act on that. I think that, you know, 
this argument that, you know, the government needs majority support to act on something as simple as um, the debate around Australia Day, I think is a bit of a dishonest one because I think what is actually actually happening is our system is so racist, it's built on the back of colonisation dispossession that there's no impetus for them to even do anything about it and they're going to go resist change every step of the way. And it's, in fact, they'll still be resisting change even if it comes to a head that the majority actually support the change. Yeah, I think the the comparison to um, equal marriage is a, a valid one. And that's, I, I, I totally agree. I think that's where we are right now with uh, changing the date or abolishing. I think abolishing Australia Day is a harder campaign to win, but I think it's uh, politically spot on from uh, First Nations people to have put that demand forward. And it's actually abolish Australia Day is not just about um, respect for Aboriginal people, but it's also about tackling the toxic culture of nationalism in Australia. It's an anti-racist and an anti-fascist demand to abolish Australia today, uh, Australia Day. So I think it's it's a really um, politically robust demand and, and a good thing to be fighting for. But yeah, I agree. The longer this goes on, and there's just massive <laughs> invasion day rallies calling to abolish or change the date. Uh, it's untenable that it's going to stay on January 26. And I think those numbers that you're talking about will continue to change and ever more people will come to that conclusion that it's just not on this, this abomination that happens on January 26. Well, very well um, said, Zane. I think we might have exhausted a bit of this discussion. And just to let um, listeners know, later on, we're going to be playing a bit of a recording of a, of a special Invasion Day show that was produced by some of our some people in Green Left. That was a special video show um, that actually aired last Sunday. Um, however, there are sections of the program that are going to be still relevant um, to be played um, for our program this Friday, um, today on, well, this morning on Friday, um, where there'll be, where a number of key Aboriginal activists from around the country, including Lydia Forp, um, talk about, um, the question around decolonization and what, um, Aboriginal sovereignty would look like. So, um, yeah, um, I hope, um, listeners kind of enjoy that, but we'll be playing that a bit later in the program. Um, but for now, I'll go play a quick announcement. You are listening to Green Left Radio. I wanna drop smooth, not bombs. Hot trains, all the gym and every info shop. I wanna give free therapy out in the park. Go to free school, jump to high practice, watch my food, not bombs. When I was new to Melbourne, I found a food, not bombs fly on the road. And I had like this feast with a carrot. And carrots are my favorite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff, and I got in touch. We. I guess rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. Not All 
right, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and me and Zane, as our prese- as the presenters, we're just having a bit of discussion about Invasion Day, um, considering the rally just ha- um, happened over Tuesday. Um, and I forgot to sort of note, um, just to um, just to make a quick note, um, the rally because we're specifically talking about Melbourne, uh, the rallies were quite oh, were very big um, across uh, Australia, including Sydney, uh, which where the police prevented um, people from marching, unlike in the case of Melbourne, although there was a certain level of police repression. Um, and then there were big numbers in WA, Adelaide and Brisbane. And, yeah, you can check greenleft.org.au for... Um, full coverage on all the protests, including pictures and, and so on of the, of the size. Um, so, yeah, highly encourage you to check that out. Now, I think we're going to start. Um, Zane was going to sort of start a discussion about something we've actually covered previously for our program, um, but this is sort of a bit of an update on uh, refugee activist um, um, Chris Breen, who's quite prominent in the movement, and he's currently facing um, charges of incitement um, for his role in organising uh car cavalcade in support of refugees last year. Yes, so there was a solidarity protest yesterday outside the Melbourne Magistrates, or not yesterday, on Wednesday, uh, outside the Melbourne Magistrates Court. Uh, about Probably about 60 people there gathered uh, as people from different unions, um, quite a few people from the uh, National Tertiary Education Union, the NTU, and if uh, a decent little block from the Australian Education Union, the AEU, um, and yeah, different community refugee activists, people from a few different left groups, people from the Greens, and yeah, the the name of the game, the the purpose of the rally was to support Chris Breen, who had been charged. Um, on, on April 10 last year, there was a COVID safe um, protest in support with those refugees locked in the Mantra Hotel. Uh, and a whole bunch of about 30 participants were fined $1,652 each, totaling those of fines all added up to nearly $50,000. But Chris Breen, um, didn't get to make it to the protest because before it even happened, the police rocked up at his house and raided it, detained him for nine hours, uh, confiscated his laptop and devices, confiscated his son's laptop. And, uh, yeah, he's been charged under the 1958 Crimes Act with the charge of incitement. Uh, as I understand, that's not a very commonly used charge and so yeah some of the speakers at this protest said that if the charge was upheld um, this would have a chilling effect on political protest across uh, Melbourne and yeah there was uh, the the state secretary of the NTU Mel Slee spoke uh, Victorian Greens multicultural committee Secretary Apsara Sabaratnam spoke, as did uh, Vic Green's MP Tim Reid. Um, and um, Tamil Refugee Council member uh, Barathan uh, Vidyapathy also spoke. Uh, and Chris Breen himself spoke. And um, I guess we've got to be careful here at 3CR when there's live 
court cases happening. Um, we've got to be careful not to, I guess, comment in such a way as to be seen to be wanting to influence the outcome of the court case. Um, what I can report is that Chris Breen paid tribute to the uh, um, paid tribute to the courage of all of those refugees and asylum seekers, um, both those that are being held in Australian detention centres and in hotel um, detention, and also those offshore in Manus and Nauru. And uh, he vowed that Refugee Action Collective will keep fighting until all those refugees and asylum seekers are released and are given full visas and are able to recover from the trauma, both of the um, dangerous situations that they're fleeing and then also the, the damage that they've um, had done to them psychologically and, and physically by being held without charge year after year um, in these detention um, centres. But, yeah, uh, suffice to say, the uh, um, there was a strong mood of um, defiance and determination in support of uh, Chris Breen. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll keep you updated on this case um, going forward. And if you see any other solidarity actions... Um, yeah, maybe consider going along to show your support and to hear about the uh, the the state of the um, of the case. Yeah, just to jump in, I don't have anything really to add on the court case, but I just I do have some things to add just in terms of how you can kind of show solidarity. Um, Right now, actually, a lot of court cases are actually accessible um, when they're in session um, by the public from your home because um, they're doing a lot of it. Uh, they're doing a lot of it um, on. They're still doing their cases online via Zoom, as far as I know. Um, so a number of participants actually got the opportunity to actually observe um, the court proceedings as it was happening on Wednesday, and just to let you know the. The, the update on the case um, without any sort of details on what's sort of happening, it has been adjourned till February the 10th. Um, so I'll keep an eye on February the 10th for any sort of actions that might be happening. You have, um, RAC hasn't called anything, but I imagine they're meeting on Monday. They're meeting on Monday night and they probably will, now that we know the court date is going to be on February the 10th, they'll probably will call an action on February the 10th. And then also you on the February the 10th, there might also be an opportunity if you have an interest in this kind of thing, especially in terms of the right to protest, um, there might be an opportunity for you as an individual to observe the court proceedings. Um, so, yeah, I'll definitely... Um, recommend that. So yeah, keep an eye on out for on February kind of the 10th. Yes. If you were of the opinion uh, that police raiding refugee activists houses is not appropriate. Yeah. You might consider getting along to that. So watch this space. You're listening to green left radio and I'll just play, I guess a quick, a kind of announcement. Women workers answer to COVID. Capitalism created this crisis. Workers can solve it. Like the sound of shorter working hours in secure employment with no loss in pay? A comfortable income for everyone. Taxing the rich? 
jobs made public with workers in charge. You women who want to be free, just take a tip from me. Radical Women is launching this winning plan on the 8th of December at 7pm. Join others to take these demands into our unions and communities. All genders welcome. Contact Radical Women at optusnet.com.au. Radical Women is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Green Left Radio, and I'm going to go. I want to start a bit of a kind of a discussion from some um, from an article from Green Left. Although interesting enough, everything we sort of discussed up to this point is um, has all been covered in Green Left. So I definitely che- um, recommend checking out greenleft.org.au for kind of any news story, stories on the latest in sort of activist kind of campaigns and so on. Now I'm, well, I want to have a bit of a kind of discussion about um, this article that was written by Peter Boyle and published on January the 22nd. And it's basically an article that's titled Happy Economic Numbers Hide Widening Inequality and Growing Property. And Peter starts off by talking about how the Federal Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, has, who's, um, who's been, yeah, our Treasurer, essentially, I just sort of introduced him as such, uh, he has been kind of very sort of upbeat about the state of the economy um, in, in Australia. And basically the argument has been, um, he has basically argued that the government has made about, had made about 11 million Australians better off this year and that 7 billion has made its way into the pockets of Australian families over the last six months and more than a billion dollars a month will make it, its way into, the, um, into their pockets over the next nine months. And of course, this, um, I think in some ways, this is really, the reasoning for this is, this is really just part of, you know, all the kind of economic support measures that the federal government had put in place in response to the sharp COVID-19 impact on the, on the, on the economy last year. And of course, he added, um, Josh Frydenberg, we've not only provided income tax cuts, but we've also provided significant incentives to small business to immediately um, expensive new acquisitions to have a loss carry back provision in case they have done it really tough through the COVID, um, that they can use the tax system to develop the working capital to get through. And that's what Frydenberg told Radio's 2GB Mike Smith. Now, I guess there's kind of like a bit of kind of scrutiny about all these sort of comments. So he sort of made another, a bit, a number of series of other comments that, you know, we've seen a big jump in household um, consumption. We saw strong retail numbers for the end of last year. And we know that the economic recovery is well underway with 85% of the 1.3 million, um, 1.3 million Australians who are either lost their jobs or saw their working hours reduced to zero at the start of the bank now back at work. Now, Peter Ball then sort of raises, I guess, the assessment, um, the question of, is the Treasurer telling the truth? Is everything kind of going along swimmingly well? And, of course, it's written here that a number of economic indicators, including the official unemployment rate now at 6.6%, reflect the impact of the significant deficit-funded measures put in place in response to the pandemic. They include the JobKeeper program, which subsidised the pay for about 700,000 workers who might otherwise be thrown out of work. 
uh, the temporary coronavirus supplement to job seeker and other welfare payments, which with, with, with which more than 2 million people try to survive. But of course, the problem is right now, and we sort of repeated this a number of times um, last year, is that a lot of these programs are being now being wild, wound back. And of course, the government's New Year's present to the unemployed was to reduce their payments to $50 a day, an amount that the Australian Council of Social Services CEO, Dr. Cansandra Goldie explains, simply isn't enough to cover food, housing, transport and bills. And of course, when it comes to job and tax cuts, currently there's one job vacancy available for every 11 people looking for a job or more paid working hours and even fewer jobs in regional areas. And of course, the situation could get completely worse after JobKeeper is completely phased out in March. And of course, to make matters worse, the government has not ruled out sending people back to the old brutal new start rate of just $40 a day in March, he added. The Raise the Rate campaign estimates that 3 million people were living in poverty before the pandemic struck. The special measure pulled many out of poverty in for a while. But when the coronavirus supplement begins began to be reduced last September, the number living in poverty shot up to 3.6 million. And, of course, the Australian Institute calculated that um, the January reduction in the coronavirus supplement would push another 190,000 people, including 50,000 children, below the poverty line. But on a sunny day by the beach in Lawn, Friedenberg failed to mention these millions his government has thrown back um, um, below the poverty line, not one lord. Instead, he was kind of talking up tax cuts. And Peter Boyle kind of points out that the coalition's tax cuts have favoured the rich and the next round of tax cuts, which it has already legislated with the votes of the Labor opposition to be delivered in July 2024, will do even so even more sharply. And of course, according to a parliamentary budget office meeting prepared at the end at the request of Greens leader Adam Bad, the coalition's income tax cuts will cost the budget free $325 billion by the end of the decade, give 58% of that to the wealthiest 20% and just 0.1% to the poorest um, 20%. So, yeah, that's sort of a bit, I guess, of the summary of the article. And you can kind of read a bit more in detail on Green Left, um, which is titled, and the article is titled, Happy Economic um, Numbers Hide Widening Inequality and Growing Poverty. But, yeah, that's sort of really just a bit of a... a, a, um, um, a kind of discussion, a kind of contributing to discussion on really what is the actual current state of the economy for working people um, beyond what the kind of Murdoch and government spin is sort of telling us. Mm. Yeah, tax cuts for the rich. It's a terrible idea at any time, but especially at the moment where the government's running a deficit, running these support measures, and then on the other hand still having these massive tax cuts for the rich in the pipeline. It's just utter lunacy. And what we really need, and unfortunately the working class is not currently in a position of being sort of organised enough to win this, but we really needed a job guarantee so that anyone is able to just rock up at an employment office and there's, you know, a, a bunch of 20 different categories of guaranteed jobs that you can choose from that get paid at the, you know, probably probably above the minimum wage would be good, something like 30 bucks an hour or something, and that way people can just go and work. There's no shortage of work that needs to be done. 
there's huge backlog of infrastructure. Um, there's a shortage of, of proper aged care workers. Um, there's all sorts of there's environmental regeneration, tackling the climate crisis, expanding public transport. There's just no shortage of, of categories of work that need to be done. And anyone who's unemployed should just be able to rock up and there's a guaranteed job ready to go. And if you only want to work 15 or 20 hours a week of this guaranteed job, so be it. Choose your own adventure level. But yeah, this, this whole trend of having people unemployed and given this sub-poverty um, stipend of $40 a day, it's purely designed to compel people out of desperation to accept sub-award sub jobs, like really low-paying work. And it's just, it's really economically dumb. Apart from being terrible for those people that it affects, just putting downward pressure on wages is not what is needed for the economy. There should be better support and wages across the board need to go up. That's going to be better for the economy in the long term because it will boost aggregate demand. It just, it, it, ne it never ceases to be enraging and astounding this idea of <laughs> corporate welfare and tax cuts for the rich. Yeah, I mean, just to go to go on a sort of slightly different topic, and this is going to be something I think of a future sort of discussion, but it is looking like um, there is going to be a possibility of a federal kind of election this year. And I think it's sort of looking likely that I think my personal view is I think it's likely that Liberals are going to probably sweep the elections this year and it's going to be off the back of their handling of the kind of COVID-19 pandemic. Like, obviously, we just raised all these criticisms of um, the federal um, coalition, you know, how all their sort of measures favour the rich, etc. But the main kind of problem is for the average sort of ordinary kind of person... Um, most people sort of, I think there has been this sort of argument that, you know, oh, well, Scott Morrison could have done better, but, you know, he did the best he could. And, you know, the only reason that most, a lot of people would have that sort of framing of, of, of opinion is because there's no real opposition, uh, especially if the Labor Party are just sort of shielding everything that the Liberal Party is doing with only mild criticisms. It's sort of hard to see um, for most people people don't necessarily see the alternative thing around if there's no actual kind of opposition. And, of course, mm. um, pro programs like this and Green Left, we still represent the sort of margins in, in society. We are trying to present the pro-working class sort of viewpoint, um, but we don't necessarily have the curing into the, into the, um, into the masses of kind of people. So that's, yeah, that's just going to, I, I sort of have a strong feeling that, the federal coalition is probably going to sweep the elections this year. Um, and in fact, um, that's just based on what um, Scott Morrison's sort of current approval ratings are um, and so on. He possibly won't, um, will want to, uh, and this is what I'm going to get into. Uh, this will be a good segue into the next sort of article I sort of want to discuss from Green Left, um, but he probably wants to avoid um, holding off till the summer because potentially there could be another bushfire season. And of course, the last time, the bushfire season happened at the start of 2020. That was when Morrison's approval reigns were at its lowest. 
Yeah, I can see uh, the temptation be there for them to call an early election, like you say, riding on the popularity of, of uh, how they've apparently had a successful response to this, which, as we would say, is questionable, doubtful. Um, and then with their new three-year term, that's when they could implement all of the kind of austerity and union bashing legislation that is the kind of follow-up to the support packages of the last 12 months. So, yeah, we'll, uh, that remains to be seen whether that happens. But, yeah, I, I could see where... I could see how that might be a, uh, a strategic option that they might think about. All right. Um, but I might move on to the kind of next kind of article. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio. They are also allowed to break into your phone if they have a reason to do so. And what we end up with is a surveillance state. What we end up with is multiple government agencies that have legal powers to surveil you when you have not been proven guilty. The underlying tenet of Western law is that you are innocent until proven guilty. What we're moving to is suspicion is enough to take away rights in order to build a case towards guilt. Now, that's not a legal framework that we agreed to. We need to keep radical voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Okay. You're listening to Green Left um, Radio, and we're just sort of having a bit of a discussion about basically the kind of state of the economy, um, and it was sort of all in the sort of article and a critique of Josh Frydenberg. Now, the next kind of thing I want to talk to you about, and this is something that kind of bears kind of repeating, and basically this is um, in response, this is an article that has um, been written for Green Left. Um, it is titled, On Current Trends, Australia Will Reach Carbon Neutrality in 300 Years. And basically, the federal government's commitment to a gas-led recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic supported by the Labor opposition, basically, it's the argument is, Australia is on track to reach zero net zero emissions in not three years, um, certainly not 30 years, um, but it starts, the number starts with three, it's actually 300 years, the argument. <laughs> and this is based on um, a report by the CSIO and the Bureau of Meteorology's um, biannual State of the Climate report released last November which found that on average Australia's climate had warmed 1.44 Celsius since records started in 1910. Um, this warming is kind of recorded uh, responsible for an increase in the frequency of extreme um, heat events, it is said, uh, and a decline in rainfall, ranging from 12 to 20%, depending on the time of the year and part of the country since 1970. And, of course, it is also noted that an increase um, in extreme fire weather and in the length of the fire season, particularly in southern Australia, said oceans are acidifying and have warmed by one, um, one Celsius since 1910. It confirmed that sea levels are rising and that the results, um, that this results in more ex frequent extremes, which risk inundation and damage to coastal infrastructure and communities. And of course, None of this sort of news is really new for the, anyone who's sort of been following the science. And this is 
current, really, it comes in the context of Australia's refusal to kind of act um, into um, and take serious climate action. And of course, there was Australia was not invited to the December Climate Ambitions um, Summit, co-convened by the United Nations. And of course, um, it's the reason why is because even though this is not even a conference that is actually amounting much to climate action, um, Australia is not even necessarily committing to the framework that these countries are already committed to, which is probably still a bit better than doing kind of nothing. And of course, um, one of the other things is um, the Climate Council basically estimates that on current trends, um, Australia won't reach net zero emissions for 300 years. And then, and then of course, the UN has also said that 2020, 2010 to 2019 was the warmest decade on record. And of course, with on the current path of carbon dioxide emissions, the global temperature is expected to increase by three Celsius to five Celsius by the end of the century. And to, they argued that to avoid the worst of warming, um, the world would need to decrease fossil fuel production by roughly 6% between the year 2020 and 2030. And of course, instead, what is actually happening, countries are instead planning and projecting an average annual increase of 2%. Um, so yeah, that's sort of basically the kind of article ends with Australia needs to make a serious commitment to net zero emissions by 2030, not 2050, with, uh, with the Morrison government committed to a gas-led recovery we have about on hands. And you can read more details about all the sort of science and statistics, uh, because there's a lot of links to it in it, uh, in that article um, written by Sarah Halfway in, on, for Green Left. Um, I, for one, hope that once, uh, once the vaccine starts getting out and once we're in a better position to start having big um, mobilisations in the streets again, I would hope that the... Uh, the climate strike movement does not become hamstrung by bureaucracy and sort of subside, but um, experiences a sort of a, a new surge. And uh, yeah, as Sarah says, we have got a battle on our hands, but uh, there is some precedent for the good side of that battle, being able to muster some pretty serious numbers in the streets. So Hopefully we'll see a uptick in the climate movement again in the not too distant future. And I think seeing all those young people out at Invasion Day, um, I think there's a confluence because a lot of those sort of young people that were there at Invasion Day marching alongside and in solidarity with uh, First Nations people are a lot of the same people that would have been at the climate strikes. And yeah, I, I'm hopeful that um, particularly with a whole new generation of young people who've grown up in a pretty dire situation, um, yeah, that we'll, we'll be seeing more big youth-driven radical protests in, in the coming period, and that, that, that gives me cause for hope, certainly. Definitely. Anyway, we might play now, I guess, a bit of an announcement and we'll go and, I guess, move on to the next part of the program. Um, you are listening to Green Left Radio. Yeah, yeah, so I was going right on 100. The sun was just starting to go down right on dusk. It just jumped out on me. It's like it didn't even know I was there. The chances are it didn't. Because to Victorian wildlife, our road is just another part of their home. It's our job to drive safely to protect them. 
To report a wildlife collision, call Wildlife Victoria on 84007300. A safe drive saves our wildlife. Supported by TAC. A 3CR supporter. Good morning. You are listening to um, Green Left Radio. And I'm going to be playing um, just half of a podcast that was recorded um, as part of a of the, as a episode of a new Green Left show um, that has um, that is currently available um, to view um, and listen to on the Green Left website, greenleft.org.au, and it was recorded on the 24th of January, and it is basically focuses on Invasion Day with Lydia Thorpe, um, Marianne McKay, and Elizabeth Jarrett, who are all um, prominent sort of First Nations activists. And while I've sort of skipped over, I skipped over the sort of um, segment where they sort of discuss why March for Invasion Day, because, you know, it would be kind of slightly kind of out of date. However, I have taken um, some different sort of sections on focusing on particular topics, i.e. what is needed to make decolonisation a rally, a reality, what would make a good treaty, um, and of course a bit of comments on from Lydia Thorpe on Invasion Day, and also a bit of d- discussion on abolishing Australia Day or change the date. Um, and in fact, early on in the program, myself and Zane sort of had a bit of sort of discussion about that, but it would kind of be very good to hear from First Nations activists on what they kind of actually think about that. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go start um, the interview and discussion from the question um, that Alex Bainbridge, who is the host of the program, asked, what is needed to make decolonisation a reality? So I'll start playing the program from there and um, hope um, listeners enjoy. I to ask because... If you, it seems to me there is a lot of people that do uh, basically advocate for tokenistic changes, like Scott Morrison changed one word in the national anthem, and there's talk about constitutional recognition, which you know counts for something, but it still is a it's still a symbolic change, not a meaningful change. So what I wanted to ask you both, maybe Marianne, you go first. What do you see as the as the as the really systematic changes that are needed to make decolonization a reality like how would you see what do we need to do to make decolonization a, a real meaningful change well the government needs to there are many hundreds of nations right across this country and time should not be a factor when it comes down to respect and doing what is right and what is proper so the government should be getting down on the ground and meeting with the elders and leaders, the recognised elders and leaders within each nation so that we can put forward what it is that we truly need and want. Because there's many nations around the country and we all have a common goal, but there are different things that are needed in different nations. You know, so we can't all, the government can't put us all in that same basket. We all have different needs and wants. You know, so they need to get onto the ground and truly, I'm sick of that word consultation, you know, because we are the most consultated people on this earth. And what we really need is for them to get down on the ground with every single nation. I don't care how long it takes. Those discussions need to be had. And when it comes to constitutional recognition, why would we want it to be, why would we want to be included in a document that was founded on genocide and all the war crimes that still exist today? Like, that's not our document. We don't want that constitution. That doesn't have rights of the people in it. That constitution exists simply to support their system. And that's it. And the economy of this country. There's no rights for people in there. You know, it's not a bill of rights like they have in America. So we need a whole new constitution 
after all of those negotiations are done with the, the first people of this country, right around this country, every single nation, not mm-hmm. just a few people from WA and a few people from South Australia. Every single Aboriginal nation needs to be consulted and we need to construct a whole new constitution after we have some sort of sovereign agreement that acknowledges and implements all of our cultural rights and values that we had before they came and invaded this country. And as for the national anthem, that's all based on the white Australia policy. Why would we want to sing something that that supports that kind of racist crap, you know? I've never stood for the anthem. Like, we don't – that's not our anthem. we got our own um, songs and language and that there that we do to recognise where we come from, you know? And we are one and free. We're not one. This country remains divided right, right since they first came here. So there is no way that we are one and free. Scott Morrison needs to pull his finger out of his ass and actually do the right thing instead of all this tokenistic crap, want to sign a close the gap policy and they don't even, everything's getting worse. So Mm -hmm. it's all tokenistic and just crap as far as I'm concerned. There's no meaning to any of it. Your comments, Lizzie? Oh, well, Sister Girl more or less covered everything that I'd probably say. Um, Only thing I could add is like, you know, like we are the oldest continuum of culture of people known to all land i think we know how to run the show mm-hmm. i think you know um white australia has been here for um seven generations eight generations how much damage have they done mm. i can't breathe clean air i can't drink clean water i can't hunt on land why from the white australian policy that continues to poison each and every single one of us that hears my voice or sees my face right now Decolonization is a must for all survival. It must start, I believe, like especially in our schools with the youth that are coming up. Let them understand what land they're on. Let them see an auntie or an uncle in the school that's not there as an AEA for a tokenistic yeah. job. Let them see an auntie or uncle that comes there and teaches them, this is the land you're on. This is the language it was if they still have one. Mm-hmm. You know, let these little children understand, wow, this is what Australia was before my daddy and mummy tell me I get to sing the national anthem and raise every day at school that supports Mm -hmm. my little class member sitting over here, her grandparents' genocide and murder. That's Mm -hmm. where we need to start, hitting these little brains as well, hitting these little hearts as much as, you know, I don't like to terrify children, but children that don't grow with the truth don't grow at all. Mm -hmm. They don't grow at all. They're growing to be ignorant Scott Morrisons that think they can change one word in a Wow, lucky I almost swore they used all the language. But in this most atrocious song, and that's mm-hmm. meant to make all of us feel better about it? No. ScoMo, sorry, bro. You know, like prayers and thoughts aren't enough. Mm-hmm. Changing one word is not enough. Like, you know, we have how many sister girls sitting right here? She could be a self-governor herself. Mm-hmm. We've got enough white legislation behind her to make sure she ticked all their boxes to speak in these places. We have people in our mobs all over every nation. We have lawyers, Mm -hmm. doctors, politicians, political minds, down from grassroots activists like me to the most educated person up there wearing a bachelor's degree hat. Mm -hmm. We have the people that can make this turn around. But the Australian government is so scared of people like us and you, Alex, Mm -hmm. joining and anybody else that they are making it almost impossible to recognise Guess what? Recognise what the white Australian constitution stands for. 
before you ask to recognize us. Recognize what that bullshit piece of paper really stands for mm-hmm. and then come and ask us, we want to be recognized in that? Come on, get real, please. Like, don't ask us to fetch your toilet paper. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got the toilet paper in front of you, read it, decipher it, recognize your own bullshit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm getting quiet up as I do because, yeah, Australian policy, constitution, telling us to recognize what? Recognize what? We need to be fired up, don't we? Well, yeah, I don't believe why we, you know, why not? We're born mm-hmm. from a fire. We have yep. a fire. We keep a fire burning. Without the fire, there'd be no truth. Without the fire, we would all be standing there proudly saying, Advanced Australia Fair. Yep. The fire needs to start burning down the Australian system. We need to start actually burning down these places. And I don't mean being violent. I mean getting inside these places and dismantling the structure that keeps us all in these oppressed boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm 41 years old. I've raised three young men. Thankfully and gracefully, thanks to the ancestors and my teachings, they've never been under police brutality. They've never had docs. But mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean yeah. in the back of every day this mother's going, hey, every time my son leaves my yard, be humble. I yeah. shouldn't have to tell my son to be humble. I should be telling my son to walk proud, loud, stand up. But as their mother, I have to go, hey, just be a little bit humble, please. Because, you know, without humility, they could come home in a body bag. I want to ask also about treaty. I mean, there have been some moves in some states towards development of a treaty, but I think there is a question to be raised about, is it better to have a, like, a, like a, a bad treaty rather than, is it better to have no treaty or a bad treaty? And what is it that would make a treaty a good treaty? So what's your views on treaty in general? Maybe, Lizzie, do you want to start with that? Um, I don't believe there could be a treaty, a national treaty, because as me and Sister Marion told you, we're all individual nations. Mm-hmm. We've had our own, we have our own songline treaties with our neighboring mobs mm-hmm. that, that culturally the old people still respect. White Australia have no idea about that. But we have our own treaties that needs to be sorted and taken care of for, to even think of any sort of national treaty that could appease all of us. Not mm-hmm. the white men wouldn't give a far out anything about what appeases them, but to make all of our nations happy under the one blanket of being Aboriginal, being native, being indigenous, being all these lovely mm-hmm. words that like to tuck at us. Yep. I don't believe in my, this is only my opinion though. I need my treaty with my people, which means treaty from Gumbangi to Bunjalung to Dungadi to Yagel to across the mountains to Camilleroy to Rajari to da 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 da. That's mm-hmm. how our treaties works. And then once the consensus of that, you grow and grow. That's the only way I see treaty. And at the moment, like them, you know, them beautiful mob down there, Jabarung tree mob, like, no trees, no treaty. They're going to keep cutting our land. They're going to keep stealing our kids. They're going to keep doing all this stuff to us and expect us to sign a nice piece of paper that lets mm-hmm. them get away with it. Yep. No, sorry, not in Lizzie Jarrett's eyes, not in, not in my time. I won't be signing anything that's a treaty unless it's for me and my people internally that we've construction. Yep. Marianne, your comments? Yeah, no, I agree with what Sister Lizzie is saying. This is what we talk about all the time. We need to get down on the ground like with us, our neighbouring tribes are you got Wongatha, you know, Kalgoorlie way, and then you got Yamaji mob that goes up, you know, Amangu and Wadri yep. and that, you know, up to Jelton. So we need those internal structures to be fully supported. And when it comes to the treaty agreement, 
we do need a sovereign treaty agreement with all the different governments around the country because we are individual nations. There cannot be one treaty agreement or sovereign agreement that covers the whole of Australia because we all have different needs and wants and different cultural laws, even yep. though we have those common ones. So the government, like I said before, needs to get down on the ground and consult every single Aboriginal nation around the country, but they also need to make it possible for us to have our own internal meetings and gatherings yep. so that we can sort out what it is that we want to keep those sovereign treaty songline agreements in place without the Australian government's sovereign agreement, sovereign treaty agreement interfering with those cultural law ones down on the on the grassroots level. Lydia Thorpe couldn't join this chat, but I had, had the chance to interview her this morning, so I want to actually include some of her comments that she made um, this morning uh, now. So Invasion Day for our people, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across the country, uh, it comes with so many reminders of our trauma, of the continued injustice that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander face in this country every minute of every day. Uh, it's a reminder of the unfinished business in this country and it's a reminder of uh, the first war that was ever declared uh, on these shores uh, against this country's first people, uh, the frontier wars. Many thousands of Aboriginal people, men, women and children were murdered uh, for the land that we now call Oz. And to see people celebrating murder, theft, dispossession is, is a, is, <sighs> reliving our trauma and it has to end uh this country is in denial of the truth uh we see that with scott morrison's comments yesterday and it you know we need a leader that's going to unify this nation not divide it any further so the 26th of january uh for the last for all my life has been uh, it's not just that day, it's a lead up to that day where the trolls come out, where the racists come out and where we have to continue to uh, justify our existence as Aboriginal people in this country. So it's a tiring week leading up to the 26th of January. We are sick of protesting. Uh, I've been protesting since I was five uh, on the 26th of January and I'm 47 uh, now my, you know, my now six-year-old granddaughter is marching for for her rights and her future uh, as a young Aboriginal woman in this country. So the 26th of January is not a day to celebrate. It's a day to mourn. It's a day to own and acknowledge what has happened so that we can move forward together. And, yeah, pick a day that does but we can't pick a day while the injustices continue. So I was going to ask you also about treaty because there have been some uh, perhaps tentative moves towards treaty in some parts of the country. Although I'm wondering what to you do you think is... In, I guess the question is what would make a good treaty? And I guess I mean, one thing I've 
wondered about. I mean, like to me, well, I'm, I guess what's your opinion? My my feeling would be like a bad treaty might almost might almost be worse than having no treaty at all. Um, so, what is required to make it a good treaty, and what do you think the steps are to achieve that? I agree. Uh, if it's a bad treaty, like what the Victorian treaty is looking like, uh, no consent, no jurisdiction, uh, and yeah, I'd rather not have one either. Uh, a good treaty to me is one where all clans and nations are at the table, a part of the conversation, and that they self-determine their own destiny. Now, they can do that with their own local communities. Uh, we could have local government involved in those conversations. But first and foremost, those clans and nations need to decide whether they want to participate in a treaty. And we, if we look at Waitangi Treaty, there were clans, there are clans that have not participated in the, in the Treaty of Waitangi. So people need to self-determine whether they even want to be part of one. Uh, and ultimately a treaty to me is about peace. It's about ending the injustice and this war against our people in this country. It is about ending uh, the destruction of our land and our water and our people. And, and I don't need to even go there with the statistics of what our people face in this country. But it means an end to all of those injustices. It means economic independence. And it means uh, an understanding and an acknowledgement and an acceptance from white Australia uh, that, yeah, Things have happened in this country that we're not proud of, but we want to be part of uh, a country that acknowledges and accepts and moves forward in a way that ends those injustices. So it is a peace treaty. Uh, changing the topic slightly, I mean, a lot of the world is focused at the moment on the, the Biden inauguration and the defeat of Trump and the, sort of the far-right movements there. Um, do you have any comments you'd like to make about that situation? Uh, well, a treaty to me, again, is about sorting out our business in our own country. And the United States is a very good example of how they haven't been able to sort out their own country's race relations and what's been going on there against black people in America. Uh, that, that's happening here. Uh, and it's getting worse. So I think we need to learn from what's going on over there so that we can uh, heal ourselves as as people in this country so that what we're seeing in the United States does not happen here. I mean, we've, I've seen a recent SBS report that said that 50% uh, of young people now support changing the date. Although I'm wondering if you want to make any comments about, I guess, uh, changes that go beyond symbolic changes only. Like, what do you think, in terms of to decolonize, decolonize in a meaningful way, what do you think that would actually involve? Uh, we can only change the date if we're changing the situation of the nation for first people in this country. There's no point changing the date uh, and celebrating the same thing. You can't change the date to celebrate invasion and attempted genocide. Uh, if we change the date, which I think is, is a good idea, it has to be changed with 
change, not just changing the date. We need to end the injustice against our people and we need a date that uh, everyone is going to be happy with, but a date that ensures that we are celebrating equally and for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. So we can't kick the can down the road without uh, owning what's happened and changing the way we do business with this country's first people. And I mean, actually, I was going to ask um, if you had comments specifically about like abolish Australia Day versus change the date, because I mean, both both slogans are being raised. So do you have any comments about that? Um, I won't say abolish Australia Day, um, but I will say we need to change what its meaning is. I think, uh, you know, abolishing it is going to get people's backs up, uh, and, and it already has. Uh, people, uh, you know, love their Aussie day. They love their Aussie flag. They love their Aussie barbecue and they love their, their day off, right? To abolish that is, is going to get people's backs up. And, and I want to just, uh, because people don't understand what that means. Those fellas that are celebrating, they don't understand what abolishing Australia Day means. Uh, so I'd, I'd prefer to spell that out a little bit further and, and say, yes, you can celebrate, but let's celebrate when we've changed the nation. Uh, so abolishing it um, won't, won't fix it. It won't unite us. Uh, changing the meaning of it will and a final question quickly just before we go i mean i wanted to ask you both about your views on the the idea of um abolish australia day versus change the date abolish australia day abolish australia that's that's about my view altogether sorry <laughs> yeah no, that's okay of course of course i'll keep it short and sweet with that one abolish australia day abolish australia because sovereignty is never ceded Get woke, get real, get where you're meant to be, you know. Understand we are the most loving, caring, nurturing people of any culture. We know how to love a land. We know how to love people. And if the white Australian government would, would just give us this little tiny bit of respect, this whole country would be a better place, brother. This whole country. We wouldn't need to be promoting ourselves like this out there in the world. It'd be known. It'd be taught. It'd be talked about. But sadly, we are put in this position where we are hush, 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 Australia this, Australia Day that, Australia, hello, Australia Day. Well, how do you celebrate something so horrendous against another form of people and against another human? So like I said, abolish Australia Day and along, along with that, abolish Australia. Marianne? Yeah, I agree. I agree, like with Lizzie to a certain extent. Um, over in WA, we've been a big part of the change the date campaign because to us, changing the date actually starts those discussions about why Australia Day should not be celebrated on the day that it is and why there is really no nation to celebrate without the justice of the First Nations people. So I agree that there can't, there really is no Australia Day that can be celebrated without honouring the first peoples of this country and coming to some sort of consensus for us to move forward. So the Change the Date campaign to me is about bringing forward those discussions and allowing the wider community to understand 
Why is it that we want the date changed? Why is it that we have Invasion Day, Survival Day? Why is it that we don't support the Australia Day celebrations and the fireworks? Because mm-hmm. the fireworks to us are like gunfire that our ancestors and old people had to listen to when they first invaded. So that's been our view over the last few years and working in with the city of Fremantle to change the date down there and having those discussions with our elders and that down on the ground. So that's been a pretty respectful thing and having the one day out at Fremantle has been um, important for bringing the community together and keeping those discussions alive. And I think that through that, that's what's actually brought more people forward in regards to our Invasion Day campaigns and our rallies and bringing everyone together because in Perth, we battle to get a 1,000 people to any kind of rally, no matter what the issue is. So I think that both sides of the argument are really important for bringing forward that unity and understanding to the wider community um, and in order for us to walk forward, you know? Yep, definitely. Fully respect that, my sister, because, yeah, that's the reality, you know. We have to make sure we use the right wording. We have to make sure we use the right narrative for these mob to come on and go, hey, what does that mean for me? How do I help? What's going on? What do you mean by change the day? What do you mean by abolish the day? What, what's going on? So it's really yeah. important to have these conversations on the ground and, like, yeah, fully respect that that's what's happening over there. And, what, yeah. we're, like, that's what we're proving right now. Things need to happen differently in different nations. Yep, that's huh? right. But it's fully yep. respect making people come to you. Like, what do you mean? What, what do you mean by change the day? I, I don't know what's going on. Like, hey, well, guess what? Get here. Get involved. Get educated. Get, you know, have a talk. What do you do? What can you do? What can't you do? You know what I mean? Yeah, yep. it's really keep these narratives yep. going. Yep. And, the- and I think I think it's important to have those those different narratives too, because then the wider community understands. Well, hang on, like these mob are saying this and these mob are saying this, but at the end of the day, we've still got that common goal of yep. sovereignty never ceded, justice now, no pride in genocide. Let's move together the way that we should be. You know, that's right, my sister. That's right. Now, I, I didn't say at the beginning, Marianne, but you're a candidate for social science and the state elections coming up in March. Did you have any comments you wanted to make about that campaign? Um, yeah, so I've never had any political aspirations, you know, like I've, as much as, you know, protesting and that there, well, fulfilling our cultural obligations is what we like to say, you know. As much as all of that is really hard work and things like that, that's my passion is standing up and fighting, you know. But it's just getting to that point where we got people speaking in parliament, in government, that don't have the right to speak for us. And I've just had enough. And Use Mob at Socialist Alliance have always supported us over the years with all the different campaigns in regards to Aboriginal justice, you know, Noongar rights and things like that. So when I had discussions with Sam, um, I just thought, yep, nah, let's do this, you know. So... Um, I'll be running for the South Metropolitan seat um, with brother boy there, Dirk Kelly, um, and with Sam running, and that's for the um, Legislative Council, and then Sam's running for the Legislative Assembly in Fremantle, in the Fremantle area. So it's been, um, yeah, like exciting, you know, like and a learning journey, you know, because I've never been on this path before. And I think that it's really important that we can garner that interest from community um, and let them know, look here, we got a Nyunga woman here, you know, someone who's a grassroots, someone who, who has lived and learned experience about what real people need down on the ground. And, you know, we've got our climate change policies. We've got our policies in regards to homelessness. We've got our policies, you know, renewable um, energies and things. We've got our policies on the whole Black Lives Matter. 
in regards to deaths in custody, child removal, you know, housing, land rights, not native title, you know, sovereignty never ceded. Like all the all the issues that people face down on the ground, real people face, not all of these government um, policies, you know, that all these mainstream mob want to put forward or they're not fighting hard for. And I think that it's really important to get real people like us mob inside that parliamentary arena so that we can fight the system from the inside. And if we can get elected, well, that would be a bonus. And one of our things, one of our main um, initiatives, like one of our main things that we're putting forward is the politicians get way, paid way too much. They don't need all that money. So whatever, if we got elected, whatever is earned above that, you know, the normal work wage that a normal person on the ground would get, well, that'll be donated into campaigns where we can fight for true justice for everybody, you know, because we don't need it. It's all wasted money that could be, um, you know, put in for somewhere else, you know, for things that really need it. And the government aren't going to come forward with things that we need. So if we can do that on the ground, at, you know, with real people, um, well, that's a bonus. And so all of that really captured my interest and I thought, well, stuff it, I'm just going to go ahead and do it, you know. You've you got to be in it to to win it, <laughs> in a sense. So we'll just see how we go. And, um, you know, hopefully all goes well. And if it doesn't, well, we've still got the federal election coming up next year as well. So we'll just see how we go. And it's been an exciting journey and walking, like, with all the deadly wadulas, you know, that we're usually protesting alongside with. No, but good on you, Sister Marion, eh? Proud of you for standing up and doing that, you know? Especially the yeah, no, thank you, sis. Got that many babies and you're always there for everybody and you're always there doing everything. So I really hope people get behind you and see the goodness you can bring and, you know, I'm, I'm excited for you. I can't wait to hear from you saying, yeah, we're going to go and kick some ass. I'll be like, let's go. Well, thanks, Pat, for both of you. Do you have any final comments before we finish up? No, big loves to you both, you know, and everyone who ends up watching the video. So, yeah, and... um. You know, wherever you are across the country, have a look and see what rallies are around and um, go and join in, you know, and, you know, go and get educated, um, listen to the people's stories, you know, and, and just be a part of, of history in the making. That's right. we'll, we'll put a link below to all the Invasion Day rallies that we know of. So if you have a check out that link. Lizzie, any final comments? Uh, more or less the same thing, you know, like main thing, or mob out there that are listening to this and allies that actually are woke just love one another a bit more right now this time of year. As we all know, this time of year makes us all have demons. The racists come out to play. Mm -hmm. God knows how many emails I have right now being called a domestic terrorist. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, So just love one another. Share the love because we are the people that know how to love. So right now it's really important that we get out there and no matter how much hate's being thrown around, just keep loving, keep standing strong. Get to an Invasion Day rally if you can. Follow the COVID safety plan. Do listen to the police if they do tell you to move on or anything. Do not put yourself in danger. Do not put yourself out there as a target that we already are. You know, please come along safely, sensibly. Get on the ground. Like I said, get educated. Get with us. Take a stand on Invasion Day that makes you a proud Australia. Yeah. And I'll leave it at that. Thanks, Alex. Do you need to renew your subscription? Make a donation. Or pass on some information to a programmer. We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03 
94198377. Each weekday between 1 and 5 p.m. and talk to a staff member. That's 03 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. Okay, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and you're just listening to um, ha- um, this, a segment of uh, special of the first episode of a new Green Left show, which focused on Invasion Day and talking about decolonisation and Aboriginal sovereignty. Um, some sections might have been just a bit slightly out of date because um, towards the kind of end there, um, they were kind of um, motivating people to go to Invasion Day, and I'm sure for all our listeners listening right now, um, you've probably already attended the Eurasian Day protest because it had already happened. But I um, hope it was an interesting kind of discussion. I'm hearing from First Nations activists. Um, if you go on the greenleft.org.au website, you should be able to check out the podcast and the show in its entirely. Anyway, we're getting close to kind of the end of the program. Um, well, not completely yet. Um, it might be a bit um, just time to do for the special activist calendar. For the activist calendar, we're just going to be advertising some upcoming protest events and anything that um, might be of interest um, to people. So this Saturday, there is going to be a united rally to free the Park Hotel refugees. Um, there's still a section of refugees who are currently still in, um, in imprisoned in the detention. And that's going to, um, so that rally is going to be happening from 2 p.m. Saturday, the 30th of January at 701 Swanson Street in Carlton, just outside um, the Park Hotel. Then on Saturday, February the 6th, there's going to be a rally, um, Tamil Oppression Day at 2pm at the State Library, um, 328 Swanson Street in the city. And then there'll be an online film screening, Santiago Rising, followed by Q&A, and that will be happening at 6.30pm, and you can, um, and that will be an event um, host, um, that's been organised by Greenleft, so if you go on the Greenleft website, you should be able to get the link. Then there is going to be um, a public forum coming up, and the forum will be How Capitalism Creates um, Racism, and that's going to be happening on Tuesday, the 9th of February. Um, attendance will be via Zoom, um, so if you look on the Green Left website and check out the Green Left Activist calendar on Tuesday, the February the 9th, um, you should be able to kind of find, find the details. There will also be limited in-person attendance at the Resistance Centre, level 5407 Swanson Street in the city, um, and you can contact 0458958385 if you would like to RSVP for the event. And then the last event to kind of want to advertise is there'll be a rally free um, free the um, all the Madagascar refugees, and that'll be happening on Saturday the 13th of February, um, 2 p.m. Let them out, let them stay, and that's at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street in the city. Anyway, that's I think. It for, I think, the uh, kind of activist calendar, and I might just play a quick announcement and then we'll move on to popping our next part of our program. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. 
As a peer-based service, everyone working at Huawei's Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Huawei's Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Huawei's Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellway supports 3CR. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and for the rest of the program, we're kind of getting into sort of the end of our program, and so maybe just to mix things up a bit, um, I will play a quick song by Thelma Plum, um, which is Better Than Black, and then we'll do a bit of a roundup of the program. Hope you enjoy.
You're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR at 855 AM. Um, you're just listening to Better in Black by Felma Plum. Now, I, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in this week. Um, hope you enjoyed, um, the program and that, um, Please take a listen um, next. Um, stay tuned for Beyond Zero Missions, which will be following afterwards. And yeah, I uh, hope you enjoy uh, the rest of your weekend um, and that we um, see you all next week on Friday, 7 a.m. to 8.30. 8.30. You're listening to Green. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise you workers from the slumbers, arise you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions Serve all masses Arise We'll change henceforth the old tradition And spurn the dust to win the prize That's right, the commies are back Reds underneath your beds and that crap